Welcome to Episode 6 of In the Arena, the Jonathan Mosen Story. I'm your host, Glenn Gordon. I think a lot of us are aware that you were longtime director of ACB Radio, but at first blush, it seems really weird that a guy from New Zealand is called upon to help create it. How did this all come about? When I was doing the government relations gig for the Foundation for the Blind and also being president of the uh, Association of Blind Citizens, I didn't have any formal radio role, and radio gets in your blood. I missed it. So we have a provision in New Zealand where you can set up a low-power FM station, and as long as you adhere to certain criteria regarding effective radiated power and stuff like this, they leave you alone. So I set up a thing called MBS-FM, which was the Mosin Broadcasting System. That's what MBS <laughs> stands for. And we would just run it around uh, our immediate suburb that we lived in. And then I was working on my master's thesis. The foundation were kind enough to pay for me to do a master's degree in public policy, which was fascinating. And Amanda and our then how many two children, Heidi and Richard, went away to Amanda's mother's so that I could spend the summer focusing on my thesis. So kind of shut myself away and and just write and research. And so on You did radio. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> on New Year's Eve nineteen ninety-eight, so just heading into ninety-nine. I took a break from my master's thesis and I was running an email list then called the PC Audio List, which is still, I think, going under new ownership. And um, I went to the Winamp site. I loved Winamp at that stage. Still do, actually. I still use Winamp. And I found out that the Winamp people at Nullsoft had created this new technology called Shoutcast. And the idea was sort of grassroots broadcasting. And in the past, there was real audio and Windows media, but you needed quite heavy server technology to make that work. This was sort of like broadcasting for the people. And I thought, well, this is interesting. So I downloaded the Shoutcast server and the Shoutcast plugin for Winamp and set it all up on my PC. And uh, within half an hour, 45 minutes, I was on the air and broadcasting MBS FM on the internet and uh, doing a little show with, you know, maybe one or two people having found it because there was a shoutcast directory that was just emerging then. And I was so excited. I sent an email to the PC audio list and I said, this thing is going to revolutionize the way blind people communicate with one another. So I played with this when I shouldn't be playing with it. And then I decided that I would see if we could set up a shoutcast station for blind people. I originally called it the Here Today Network as an H-E-A-R Today Network. And I kind of went around pitching this idea to ISPs in New Zealand. In those days, you know, we, we didn't really have the ability to have the bandwidth at home that would be necessary for a server where a good number of people could listen. So my pitch to these ISPs was, this is a really good thing to be involved in. You know, blind people from around the world, radio traditionally has about has been about the community in which you live. But internet radio can be about communities of interest. And there sure is a community of interest in the blind community. 
So while this was going on, I hooked up with a guy called Mark Sank, who's in Pittsburgh, and he had access to a T1. And in those days, you know, we would drool about anybody who <laughs> had access to a T1. I can't remember what the capacity of a T1 was. Not that much. No, no. But it was mega then, you know, and it would be enough for us to get up and running. And in the weekend, Mark very kindly let me kind of hijack this T1. And we started doing test broadcasts of the Here Today network. And I just had this really awful phone patch that would plug into the microphone of my sound card. But I would give my New Zealand phone number over the air and people would call it. I mean, people would call from all around the world and make a long distance international call, which was quite expensive in 1999. And people would call in and talk just for the thrill of this whole internet radio thing. And there was so much excitement. It's now 2027 uh, GMT, and that's progress for you. Uh, that's Celine Dion, and my heart will go on. If you'd like to give us a call at the Here Today Network, I'm Jonathan Mosen. The phone number for most people who are calling internationally will be 11 389 0827. That's your international code and then 644-389-0827. I have a local call on the line, so if you want to interrupt us at any time and know that you'll get straight on the year without any waiting, because some people will find it a bit of an expense, uh, give us a call, interrupt us, and we can just pop back to this local call at any time. So now's the time to ring Mr. Vaughan Dodd all the way from about seven kilometres Good morning. Yes, how are you? Very good, thank you. How's it sounding, Wellington via Pittsburgh uh, via Wellington again? Oh, a very good stream. Very um, good. The only problem I've got at the moment, which I may as well broadcast to the <laughs> net, <laughs> is I'm only getting one channel, and I think it's sound card related. Mm. Uh, yeah. So any suggestions? Um, Listen, I've got a call. Um, can I come back to indeed. you? Indeed. Okay. Here today, who's this? Hey there, Jonathan. This is Tandy Way in Tampa. How are you, Tandy? All right, you're coming in solid uh, in amateur radio lingo. I would say like five by nine. There's no breakups here in Tampa. Well, what can I say except seventy threes? That ten four is good, buddy. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll play you the convoy song by C W McCall a bit later. There you go. You could have a twin spin with uh, with that other one that he had out. Uh, did he have another one? Anyway. What was the other one? Yeah, he, did? he had a he had a couple of them actually. Oh, good grief. Not, not dealing with CB necessarily, but he had a couple of, you know, where he basically talked through the song as opposed to uh, singing. Of course, his singing was uh, not his uh, long suit, you know. And I failed. I, I couldn't get any ISPs to sign on quickly enough to this concept and give us some bandwidth, I guess, because bandwidth was fairly expensive here then. And where did Blindline fit in all of this? Well, so then Live 365 came along. And I made an error of judgment there. I thought that with Live 365, which was a service where you, in those days, it was purely shoutcast based. So this was the era of uh, the dot-com madness and everybody was offering things for free. And Live 365 basically said, come one, come all, sign up and we'll give you a free shoutcast server with 200 listener capacity. And so I thought, well, why would anybody want to share an internet radio station if they could just set up their own one? So I changed tack and I put MBS FM up on the web using Live 365 with some internet specific things. And one of them was I thought, well, you know, not completely losing sight of this community of interest concept. Wouldn't it be good if we had a talk show 
for blind people around the world, especially given how many people were willing to call me in New Zealand. So that's when I came up with the concept of BlindLine. And I remember Doug Joffrey was the very first person I spoke to. I'd sort of been in touch with Doug over the years, so I felt okay about approaching him. Hello, I'm Jonathan Mosen. GW Micro of Fort Wayne, Indiana, produces one of the most popular screen readers for Windows, Window Eyes. On the blind line of Saturday the 17th of July, I spoke with the president of GW Micro, Doug Joffrey, about the past, the present, and GW Micro in the future. We began by talking about how Doug became involved in access technology. Actually, that was all pretty much by chance. Um, I had uh, been going to college, and I don't remember exactly what year it was, but certainly very early in my college years, probably probably the first year, freshman year. And um, I was going for a computer science degree. It's actually mathematics with a computer science option, is what it was called. And uh, at the time, I had worked for a local computer store, just doing odd and end jobs and things like that, emptying trash cans, whatever it took, just to get into that store. And uh, they knew that I was um, doing some programming things on the side and things like that. And we interviewed him, and then I believe Ted Hint was next. So what we would do is we'd pre-record the interviews. It was the only way I could do it then. Pre-record the interviews, run them, and then we'd have a kind of an open forum afterward. And this thing really gain momentum. I mean, people anticipated the next episode. We got all sorts of people on the program. And, you know, these people were legends to me. I'd grown up with newsletters, uh, very much impacted by Doug Wakefield's news bits, which had such amazing production values and this cool Mannheim steamroller music. And Doug was just a class act, not only in the way he did that news bits audio newsletter, but also uh, his audio tutorials, which inspired me. So all these people that I'd heard on these newsletters and things, suddenly I was talking to them and it was kind of like squee, you know, (laughs) this is amazing getting to talk to people like Ted and Doug and people who I've subsequently got to know quite well. And people liked it. And so I did this for a while. Then the next significant step in the story was the association of which I was president was having a conference a national conference, and we were originally actually going to ask Mark Maurer if he would come out president of the NFB then and be our international guest speaker, and we'd got funding for this and everything. Kenneth Jernigan had died in 1998 in October, and I think he had his hands full pretty much, uh, and so he declined. We then asked Paul Edwards, uh, who was president of the ACB, if he would come out and be our international speaker, and he was fantastic, and he came out, and he stayed with Amanda and me, That conference in 1999 was a bit of a watershed conference because finally everything really blew up over governance. We lost our patience with the board of the foundation interfering with the process. So we moved a vote of no confidence in the chairman of the board. It really upped the ante. And I got to the point where I think we all sort of realized you can't be a senior manager of the foundation and president of the association when things are this bad. And we also had a new chief executive with whom I had some disagreement. So I left. It was a big decision, and that all happened while Paul was here. I didn't know what I was going to do. It might have been 
considered a bit of an irresponsible thing because I had two and a half children by that stage. David was on the way. But I knew that I couldn't do it anymore. It was just really messing with my sense of integrity and I had to get out. I was in that awful position where Sunday night was the worst day of the week because I knew that I had to go in and do it all over again on Monday and it was awful. So when I left and I came home and I said to Amanda, guess what I've just done? (laughs) Though we had talked about it before. Paul was still there. And Paul said to me, you know, I didn't want to overly influence your decision because I know this has been on your mind. But now that the decision is made, why don't you set up ACB radio for us? You know, I'd been approached earlier in the year by Chris Gray, who said, you know, we really like what you're doing and we'd like to set up a station for ACB. Would you consult for us? And I said, of course. Yeah, let me know what you want to know. And I didn't hear anything more. But then there was Paul sort of like an hour after I'd quit my job saying come and set up acb radio for us so the deal was done and and that's how we got started mbsfm.com presents blind line with jonathan mosen where the world turns on surfs in and speaks out good sunday morning from new zealand thanks for tuning our way i hope that you're well and that you'll be with us for the duration on what promises to be an interesting blind line we will be taking your calls via buddy phone and regular telephone after our interviews are finished but we do have a few of them today shortly we'll be hearing briefly from paul edwards the president of the american council of the blind as we've been saying on the email lists over the last 24 hours or so paul has a special announcement for us i hope you'll find that interesting and it will no doubt be the topic of considerable discussion when we get to the talk section of the program and we come to your comments. You'll also probably want to talk about what we've all been talking about for the last week and a half or so, and this is the major feature of our program today. This is the decision of the National Federation of the Blind to sue America Online. Using the Americans with Disabilities Act and claiming that cyberspace, or America Online in particular, is a public place, and therefore should be making accommodations under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So we'll be speaking with Curtis Chong of the National Federation of the Blind. We'll also hear a screen reader vendor's perspective on this. We'll be joined by Doug Joffrey of GW Micro, and we'll also hear at the end from Paul Edwards, again, of the American Council of the Blind, asking the question, can we expect to have cross-consumer organizational support on the AOL lawsuit? Are they going to back the NFB on this one? And then it will be your chance to phone in and sound off about any issue that we've discussed or something completely different. So time now to speak with Paul Edwards of the American Council of the Blind. Nice to have you back on the program, Paul. And uh, you have something pretty unique to tell us and pretty special to tell us. Over to you. The American Council of the Blind um, is extremely excited by the prospect of uh, setting up internet radio broadcasting um, and are particularly excited by the fact that we've been able to persuade one of internet broadcasting's leading proponents um, to take the lead in helping us to set up the program. So on behalf of the American Council of the Blind, it gives me great pleasure to welcome uh, as uh, the, the, the new managing director, chief disc jockey, and, um, and chief engineer of ACB Radio, uh, Mr. Jonathan Mosen, formerly of MBS-FM. 
Well, I haven't had an introduction like that for a long time. This is an exciting partnership, which we hope to uh, get off the ground officially on December the 1st uh, with a new website, and uh, all of that will be revealed in, in good time. Tell us about your vision for ACB Radio, Paul. What, what we're hoping ACB Radio will become is a, is a single source that blind people can use to get uh, all the information they want in easy-to-use audio format. We're hoping that uh, by this time next year, uh, we will have uh, programming uh, that's produced for ACB Radio um, that will fill a substantial number of hours per week. Um, to begin with, uh, we're going to be using some old-time radio, some ACB broadcasts, um, and some uh, blind line broadcasts um, in order to fill time. But it is our hope that what we'll end up being able to do uh, over time is to create ACB disc jockeys. Um, to that end, uh, one of the things that we've got on the schedule at this point uh, is for Jonathan uh, to come to our convention a day early uh, in order to provide a full day's training for oh, anywhere from six to eight potential disc jockeys um, who will have hands-on experience understanding how to do computer-produced programming um, and how to get that computer-produced programming up and available on the ACB Radio site. By the way, we have registered the domain name, so acbradio.org is now officially ours, um, and we're hoping at this point to launch on December 1st. You're listening to a test broadcast from ACB Radio. ACB Radio brings blind people from around the world together to create a great internet radio station. Isn't that right, Mary? That sure is, Mike. When ACB Radio launches on December 1st, we'll have coverage of blindness-related matters from the United States and around the world. And remember the Blind Line Show? Well, Jonathan Mazen has moved to ACB Radio and will be hosting Blind Line on ACB Radio. Don't miss it. We'd love to hear how well you're receiving this test. Let us know what player you're using and how it's sounding. Our address is test at acbradio.org. That's test at acbradio.org. Thanks for listening to this test of ACB Radio. Come, Come back, back on December 1st when, when we'll be on, on the air. air. It was a very different time, wasn't it? I mean, peop- the world was not plugged in like it is now. No. So part of the thing I enjoyed about ACB Radio was inventing protocols and techniques to make all this work and there was a pioneering nature of it i mean a lot of the audio sounded awful but it was also a very new concept the idea that you could connect a bunch of blind people together to discuss common problems and opportunities and technology was cool i mean you know there was no podcasting or anything like that so acb radio really was our way of connecting the blind community around the world that had internet access. It was a very big deal. The The impact that it had, it's hard to really explain to people who weren't there, you know, for for whom the internet is just this, this utility that's always there and it's always on. It's hard to explain just how impactful it was. How quickly did it bloom? It was a slow burn, you know. I mean, I think that, so that was, that was on the, um, 15th of October, I believe. I believe it was White Cane Day that I resigned. <laughs> and How timely. Yes, yes. So I said to Paul, I think, I think we had some meetings with the ACB uh, 
sub must have been the board of publications i guess and we decided let's aim for the 1st of december and that what we would do was soft launch it so at that stage mbs fm was playing old time radio so we we thought well we'll we'll fill the schedule with old time radio and then gradually ramp up our own content as we got people on board because one of the problems was we had a lot of eager people people who didn't know how how do you create this content for an internet radio station and we knew that it wasn't going to be until i went to louisville louisville in kentucky in 2000 for the acb convention and sat there and gave workshops on how do you use soundforge or um, do streaming live streaming that we would get an increase in the number of people who were capable of doing this so we had old-time radio. We would broadcast archival stuff from the Braille Forum. The snowman was very quick. He was already doing stuff for a, a stream called LivestreamAmerica.com. So we got the snowman radio broadcast from there. And various other things, you know, Blind Line, I would do some extra talk shows and things. And we had a couple of early adopters. But most of the time, initially, it was old-time radio. And we just gradually ramped it up from there. The big change was when I went to the board of publications and said, you know, we've got a proof of concept here. And given that Live 365 was around still then, so shoutcast servers were free, why don't we consider really investing in ACB radio, make my position full time? Because at that stage, it was only, I think, about 20 hours a week. And I was supplementing ACB radio with a lot of other work with tutorials and teaching people and things. But if we went to a 40-hour-a-week position for ACB radio, we could create a network of three streams, and we held competitions to name these streams. The one that had always been there was renamed ACB Radio Mainstream, and that would sort of have talk, meaty blindness content type things. The second one would be ACB Radio Cafe, and that would be uh, music of blind musicians, some very famous ones, and some who were making music in their own home studios and were absolutely brilliant at it. And the other would be ACB Radio Treasure Trove, which would take over all the old-time radio content. And that one actually was the most popular stream. A lot of people liked ACB Radio Treasure Trove. And then Interactive came later that year. It's getting better all the time. Big changes are coming to ACB Radio. Thanks to your support, ACB Radio has grown beyond our wildest expectations. So ACB Radio will be offering not one, not two, but three services. Do you enjoy our old-time radio content? Well, you'll be able to enjoy it whenever you want when we start our new station playing all old-time radio all the time. Our talk channel will offer two hours of fresh content daily, replaying around the clock in case you miss the live broadcast. And our all-music station will play nothing but music from blind musicians. Plus, you can choose to hear any of our specialty programs when you want to. Stay tuned to ACB Radio for details. It all happens in April. So when we changed to that model of three streams on the 10th of April 2000, that was when I started doing Main Menu and I split all the technology from BlindLine and put it into Main Menu because I was getting quite concerned that BlindLine was becoming too technology heavy 
and that 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 I wanted a place on ACB Radio where there would be a, an opportunity to discuss current affairs, politics, the difficult issues of the day without technology getting in the way. And people really protested. They didn't like the idea of of the spin-off show thing called Main Menu. And you know, it's not gonna work. Main menu. Main menu. Welcome to this inaugural edition of Main Menu and also, of course, the first program on ACB Radio Mainstream. Nice to be here with a new look ACB Radio. Gosh, we've been doing a lot lately. <laughs> and uh, it looks like we have everything up and running so far so good. We have the ACB Radio Cafe playing music by blind and vision impaired musicians. We have ACB Radio Treasure Trove, which is offering old-time radio. And here we are on ACB Radio Mainstream. Don't forget to check out the website. It's a completely rewritten website. Well, we've got a busy program lined up for you for this first edition, but before we tell you about what's coming up, let me tell you a bit about the philosophy of the Main Menu Show. Main Menu is here every week at 1 o'clock GMT on Monday mornings. That's 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday night in the United States, 1 o'clock in the afternoon New Zealand Time, 11 o'clock in the morning on Monday in Eastern Australia. Main Menu is looking at technology, but we use that term in its broadest sense. We're not just talking about blindness technology with respect to computers and screen readers. We're also talking about technology such as microwaves and other appliances, and we're looking at mainstream technology from a blind person's perspective. For instance, we hope to have software developers on the program in the coming weeks or web designers of general websites that are particularly accessible or perhaps are not particularly accessible so that we can quiz them about that. So we hope you'll enjoy the program. We're confident it will be your definitive source for technology news as it affects blind and vision impaired people. Welcome to Main Menu. Good to have you along. On the program today, we're going to be talking shortly about what everybody else has been talking about, the Microsoft verdict. What does it mean for the blind and vision impaired? We've got a panel of experts to tell us. We'll also be looking at Kurzweil 1005.0, the Education Division of Learn Out and Houseby, formerly Kurzweil Educational Systems, has just released this following CSUN. And we'll be sp- speaking with the key programmer from uh, Kurzweil, Stephen Baum, about what's in there and looking at the talk of this release, really. And that's real speak. We have a copy of it here and we're going to be putting it through its paces as part of that look at Kurzweil 1005.0. A lot of other features in it too, though, so Stephen Baum will tell us all about them. The Logitech iTouch keyboard allows you to take your keyboard away. And of course, this has particular benefits for blind people who don't need to be close to a screen. Scott Rakowski tells us all about that. DJC is along looking at a talking microwave with his neighbor, Joy Tilton. We'll also hear from Matt Campbell, who'll be introducing us to Linux in what will be a regular feature on Main Menu. And we'll also be looking at the pros and cons, the trials and tribulations of being a beta tester in a rather tongue-in-cheek way. All that and more to come on this edition of ACB Radio's Main Menu. It was great, though. I I think I discovered you uh, back in the Blind Line days, but near the end. And one of the great things about that show and Main Menu is I think it's really the first time in this technology industry 
that someone approached talking about the technology the same way that they would approach talking about something else on on the radio, where there was an eye, not necessarily of being critical, but of at least asking probing questions. And somehow you managed to do it without appearing to be partisan. I'm glad you think so. I mean, I did get a bit of ribbing sometimes, one occasion in particular, from people who felt that I had been partisan. But I I tried very hard to be absolutely fair and straightforward in reviews. And what was interesting was over time, the technology would come to me, which I guess is really a sign of where you're at with a show. So I remember when the Braille Lights Millennium came out, Freedom actually sent me one of those on loan to evaluate. I We're think, wanting that back. Yeah, <laughs> don't worry, you got it back. <laughs> uh, I got a parrot, I think, a personal organizer for, uh, on the same basis. So a lot of technology and software and things was was coming for a review. And people subsequently told me, you know, because it wasn't a podcast, so everybody knew that, you know, whatever it was, um, 9 p.m. Eastern on a, I think, um, I can't remember what day it was now, that was main menu time. And people told me a lot of people from tech companies would sort of sit around there waiting to hear the verdict on their latest technology. But you're right, it wasn't just about reviews. I remember when Freedom was being bedded down. Well, I remember Freedom being created, actually, and talking to Ted Henter when the name Freedom Scientific was announced and saying to him, you know, Freedom Scientific, that's a kind of odd name it doesn't really trip off the tongue and he said well you know we're so used to it we don't think about it anymore and of course so it has proven to be but there were some problems as there often are with companies that merge and i was getting a lot of leaks back then about disgruntlement say from the blazy division or something like that and um i had to be a responsible journalist and i would always try to get a couple of sources for everything i was getting but we did some really hard-hitting exposés of all of that stuff. Things like the the agreement that blind staff uh, were being expected to sign regarding non-compete, which was new in the industry. And we would focus on all these things. If Main Menu hadn't been around, there would not have been that kind of scrutiny. I remember when we spoke to Dick Chandler, who was the president of Freedom then, And we were just so relaxed and chill about it that I actually managed to get him to reveal the product that would eventually become the Packmate before the Millennium was released. And I know that there were people at Freedom who were really annoyed about this. So we had some scoops. And if there's one thing that I really lament, it's that blindness technology coverage is so damn sycophantic now. It's not hard-hitting. People aren't asking the probing questions that need to be asked. There's no shortage of people complaining on social media, but that's different from actually getting the people responsible on a podcast or an interview of, of any description and actually asking the tough questions in a respectful way. I think that's the key. You didn't seem to be Mike Wallace. You didn't screw people to the wall in the same way. At least it didn't feel that way. I've found out, I've done various interviews over the years with different styles. And sometimes I have used that Mike Wallace type technique with politicians because I think, you know, we pay them and, and they deserve that and they should be able to withstand it. In a case like technology people who 
are often actually quite nervous about doing media because it's not their strength necessarily. Some are very good at it. A lot are not. And um, what's the objective? The objective is to get as much information for your audience as you can. How do you do it? By making the person feel relaxed, like they're just sitting there having a phone call with you. If I had turned up the heat and got all aggressive, we wouldn't have been able to extract the same information. Did Main Menu attract a fairly large audience quickly, or was it? Was, did it need to build? By the standards of the time, the audience was quite large quite quickly. There was a lot of anticipation about Main Menu, but it certainly did build over time. Particularly, I think, it transcended that clique of well-connected blind people so that AT instructors and, and people in the industry and things actually decided that they could depend on this thing as a credible source of information. I guess if I look back, it's probably the most impactful thing in internet broadcasting that I've started is getting main menu up and running. And it took a long time to produce. We would pre-record it and it was without fail two hours every week of new content. That's a big undertaking. Yes, it is. And I think what made Main Menu sustainable in the form that it was running then and so exciting was that because there was no podcasting, because distribution was always the challenge, Main Menu was very grassroots. I mean, I was the paid ACB radio director, so I had the time to do a lot of the in-depth stuff and the interviewing and the researching. But as you heard in that little intro to the first main menu that we played, there was a lot of grassroots content being produced. And that was only on the first episode. We eventually got inundated with people producing grassroots content. People were gaining confidence in using audio editors like SoundForge or Goldwave or whatever their editor of choice was. And I had produced an audio tutorial actually on SoundForge that Freedom Scientific picked up. They bought the rights to it and distributed it on cassette. And a lot of people bought that SoundForge tutorial and started producing content. So that was a a fit for Main Menu that was really appropriate for ACB, that it was really grassroots. The stuff was coming from everyday consumers who were evaluating products of all sorts, hardware and software, and demonstrating them and giving their verdicts. In an era of podcasting, anybody can do that now, of course. They can set up their own podcast feed and let rip. It wasn't the case when Main Menu was started, so it was this amazing conduit for people to learn a craft, like demonstrating something, evaluate something, and then send it to me for inclusion on Main Menu. And we didn't accept everything. We did adhere to standards. I believe we published standards ultimately about what we would expect, what we would accept for a main menu demo. But if you got accepted for main menu, if your demo was broadcast, it was a big deal. Let's turn to uh, ACB Radio Interactive, which I must say I'm more fascinated with in the sense that it really became an effort, at least I assume it was an effort, of organizing people as much as anything. Yes, we'd obviously grown in confidence, and I realized that I had made a mistake. So when Live 365 started, I thought, why would people want to be a part of a collective to do this kind of DJ radio stuff when they could get on their own server? And what I realized was, There's something about having one place 
to tell people to tune into. And there's something about being part of a well-managed team and creating something special. It's almost like it's it's a sum greater than its parts, all that kind of stuff. A few months before we started, I started putting the feelers out saying, who would be interested in being on this collective internet radio station where it would be music radio by blind people for the world? So not necessarily by the blind, for the blind in this case, but blind people would do a great job of doing this radio and anyone could tune in and they might happen to find out that there's a blind person doing the DJing, but it's kind of inconsequential. And I got a lot of volunteers. And so at the beginning of September 2000, we started ACB Radio Interactive with uh, quite a lot of fanfare. T-minus one minute, T-minus one minute, and counting. Now in the final minute of our countdown, at the 30-second mark, swing arm number one will retract. T-minus 50 seconds, as we pass the T-minus 50 second mark, the power transfer takes place. First stage, second stage, third stage, and the instrument unit going to internal power. T-minus 37 seconds, and our count continues to go well. We'll be looking for an ignition of those five first stage engines at the T-minus 8.9 second mark. We've passed T-minus 30, T-minus 25 seconds, and counting. T-minus 20 seconds, T-minus 20 seconds, and counting. 17, guidance release, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8. Ignition sequence has started. Six. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Login. Open your player. Winner. It really whips the llamas. On the ACB Radio Interactive. Hello, world. This is ACB Radio Interactive. Sure are glad to be here and that you're here with us. It's four minutes past zero hours universal time. I'm Jonathan Mosen taking you through the next couple of hours as we introduce you to the people who are ACB Radio Interactive. If you want to drop me an email and say hello and even ask for a song, you're most welcome to do that. That is what ACB Radio Interactive is all about. Oh yeah, and the address is request at acbradio.org. That's request at acbradio.org as we celebrate with Cool and the Gang and the launch of ACB Radio Interactive. It's a really labor-intensive model because normally with radio stations like that, 
you might have a, a few people doing your weekend lineup and then you have a set number of people doing a show at the same time every weekday. So the numbers are quite small and it's easy to manage your online talent. What we were doing with ACB Radio Interactive, though, was basically saying, oh, yeah, you can do one or maybe two or maybe three shows a week. Each show might be one, two, three or four hours. So to fill the schedule, that required a lot of people. And that meant that you had a very large team with uh, disparate requirements in terms of how they like to be managed and of course because they were radio people massive egos to match because you can't do radio without a bit of an ego how did you balance giving everybody a chance and only wanting people on who who sounded good and you know portrayed the station correctly I got some directive in that regard from ACB which basically was that they wanted me to err on the side of giving people a chance of participation. That's kind of the the ethos of, of ACB Radio. So we would certainly put people on ACB Radio who, for example, wouldn't get anywhere near Mushroom FM. But also, they were different times. So we were all still experimenting and, and working out what worked. And in a way, Mushroom FM gets criticized sometimes for sounding overly commercial and slick. ACB Radio Interactive, because... We had a wide range of people at different places in their broadcasting journey. It did sound a lot more raw at times, and some people really liked that. I uh, should probably put in a plug for the document that you wrote after ACB Radio. I guess it was on the 10th anniversary, is that right? I think it was the 15th anniversary, yeah, the 15th, um, called On Air Online. You... uh offered it up to me in preparation for this, and I found myself reading it riveted from start to finish because it really felt like you were cheering for a team. Yeah, I'm proud of what we achieved. The technology was new. The way that you harness that technology was unproven. Some people say to me, how was it that a guy from New Zealand got to run a station for the American Council of the Blind? And actually, it was the cause of some resentment among some people. But I think it was that one of the skills I have had from time to time over the years is to look at a technology and really understand its possible application. When Shoutcast came along, I could instantly see this could really change the way blind people around the world interact with one another. And it was my choice to kind of focus on that blindness angle that I think led to ACB Radio ultimately. What did you find to be the hard parts about doing this? Assuming there were some. Oh, there were lots of hard parts. Obviously, there were technical challenges, particularly since a lot of people we were working with still had dial-up modems. Can you find some magical EQ formula to get somebody to stream at a bit rate of 24 kbps and get stereo without it sounding really nasty. <laughs> I mean, really cool challenges like that. Also, though, just the sheer number of people and the diversity of that group. Sometimes we might have a really keen 15 or 16-year-old with raw talent, but who understandably hadn't really had any experience working with a team like this before. Uh, there were people from different cultures. And, you know, um, I think at one point we had about 70 staff 
on the various ACB radio stations from nine countries. Uh, it was a big deal working with all those people and trying to be cognizant of how each likes to be managed. You also have some people who had never worked before who were adults. And sometimes that's just a the nature of the circumstances of being a blind person, that they hadn't been in the right place at the right time to hold down a job, and maybe some had given up. And in that situation, it was different because usually the younger people were at least amenable to direction. We did have some people who were more advanced in years who were not and who were quite destructive. And that did cause a bit of a schism in ACB Radio Interactive about a year in. So there were lots of personnel challenges. That was probably the most challenging part is just all those people, you know, one person directly working with up to 70 people at a time It's it's a, and, and managing the schedules and things. It's a big ask. So you have this relatively freeform format that potentially means people can delve off into topics that would be offensive to others. Yes. Did that happen? That did happen. On one occasion towards the end of my involvement in ACB Radio where um, I think one one person who has a right of center worldview was talking about something I believe to do with the UN and um, the then president of ACB, the presidency had changed then, Chris Gray um, objected to that and that was a difficult situation and it was symptomatic of the reason why I ultimately left ACB Radio is ACB had always prided itself on a very clear separation between publication and uh, the the governing arm of the organization because they perceived that as a fundamental flaw of the way NFB operates. So when we started to get presidential interference in editorial content, and particularly when that interference came directly to the broadcaster concerned rather than me as the manager – there were several other similar threads running at the time that that got me really concerned. And so that was one of the key reasons why I decided to to leave. Good evening from New Zealand. This is Jonathan Mosen. I realize that a number of you have stayed up till all sorts of hours of the night to listen to this announcement. And for that, I extend my gratitude. Over the last three and a half years, I've been privileged to work with a group of people who have provided a place for blind people from all over the world to broadcast a wide range of programming. Some of it has been aimed directly at the blind community. Most of it has been of interest to a wider audience and has helped to change perceptions about blindness in the minds of many sighted listeners. When I started in the ACB radio role, we had no ACB radio. Then there was pretty much me and a collection of old-time radio shows. Now a hard-working team of over 60 volunteers in nine countries working on its own server with a state-of-the-art broadcast automation package makes the station what it is. That team will no doubt continue to innovate, inform and entertain. But it's time for me to move on to new exciting challenges outside of ACB Radio. I advised the president of ACB yesterday of my intention to resign in mid-July. I've accepted an exciting offer of employment that will, like ACB Radio, be rewarding and challenging, but in very different ways. I'm proud to leave ACB Radio in a vibrant state, still going strong when many other such ventures are just distant memories. 
I've been humbled by how many people listen to shows that I've been fortunate enough to produce for ACB Radio. And in the last three and a half years, I've come to know many of our listeners well. So I appreciate that this kind of change isn't easy for some to accept. But the fact is, ACB Radio is strong. It will continue and grow to be even bigger and better than before. I may have been the front person for ACB Radio and the person paid to look after it and produce a range of programmes, but ACB Radio is full of talent that will keep it afloat. This is, of course, not goodbye. There's the convention to look forward to and another month of ACB Radio before I move on. So let's enjoy each other's company and look forward to the future with pride and excitement. Thank you all for your support of ACB Radio and of my own role in it. It's been special, it's been fun, but the time has come for me to climb new mountains and reach new heights. What kind of feedback did you get from the listening audience in terms of the impact it had on their lives? It's really humbling, actually. People saw ACB Radio as a companion. We were uh, voices that were perhaps familiar in other contexts, or perhaps um, people got to know us through there. But it kind of grew into a listening family. I think the other thing I would say about Impact, too, is the impact that it had on the broadcasters. I think if there's one thing that a leader should always strive to do, it's to foster leadership in others. And so even though we did have a kind of a breakaway station that formed in quite acrimonious circumstances a year into ACB Radio Interactive, and other people started internet radio stations as well. I actually welcome that because we paved the way, we showed people what was possible, and if that project gave them the confidence to then go out, whether they were a part of it or whether they just saw what was happening and start something else, then that's fantastic. I think of all the people that I've worked with over the years who've gone on to do internet projects of their own or done different things, in a couple of cases, even inspiring them into getting into commercial radio. And I think, you know, absolutely, that's what it's all about. It's about creating those opportunities for people. I'm just thinking, in in the days of ACB radio, at least its formative years, there was no such thing as social media. There wasn't that same web of ways to get people involved. What was there in its stead? We used email a lot, so people could email into the shows, and we had a generic address that all ACB Radio Interactive presenters used. We also used MSN Messenger quite a lot, and there was a way of connecting people together through a group conversation. And so I remember on early iterations of the Mosin Explosion saying to people, if you want to be added to my rolling conversation, just send me a message on MSN Messenger and I'd add you. And that was a way for listeners to all communicate with one another, much as they do now via Twitter. So we had sort of innovative ways around it. Some people used internet phone-based technology. I remember during the blind line and, and, and other periods, we had a thing called Buddy Phone, which Jim... Snowbagger, the snowman, uh, quite mischievously re- renamed Buggy Phone, which I think is very apt. <laughs> and um, there are, there was Speak to Me. There are a lot of internet phone technologies long gone that we used to use back then as well to kind of get people's um, 
voices on the air. But again, sometimes I would have to be a little bit firm about that because bandwidth was so much less abundant than it is now. So sometimes we would notice that if people had one of these internet phone programs running or even too many clients of any description running, their stream would start to glitch and we'd have to say, look, the stream always comes first. You know, your your fundamental responsibility is getting the program out. So it was all good stuff. Yeah, that probably means there was no shortage of presenters. See, I've I've been con- converted over to your way of speaking. Uh, presenters, as opposed to disc jockeys or announcers, mm. um, who had their show cut short because of an internet glitch. Oh, yeah, there was plenty of that. And um, we eventually got to the point where we had fallback in that situation. We were very lucky that the concept of ACB radio attracted some really smart people. And I'm thinking, of course, of, oh, gosh, it's dangerous to name people, but Dave Williams, who succeeded me as ACB Radio Director, Matt Campbell in particular, who's contributed so much in various capacities to this industry. He wrote special Winamp plugins that would do certain things relating to title streaming and other things. He even wrote a server that we ended up using once ACB Radio became self-hosting called Simplecast, which was then donated to the wider community for anybody who wanted to use it. He wrote various other things. Um, Mark Mulcahy, who's also had a great run in this industry in various capacities, he wrote a thing called um, PRS, which was a really uh, advanced automation system. And not only did it do automation, but it did it had software compressors and equalizers and all sorts of things like that. It would relay from different streams. Uh, so he ran PRS as well. So we were incredibly fortunate to attract those people who were able to do things that I did not have the technical competency to do. So it was very much an amazing effort of getting a lot of the best minds on the job to get these things sorted. I have this feeling, and I have no idea if it's true, that back then there was less fragmentation in internet radio and people tended to be willing to listen live as opposed to wanting to listen to everything on demand. So so two questions. What, was that true? And secondarily, do you remember the kinds of listener numbers you got several years in? Yes, it, it is true. And of course, people were pinned to their computer in those days when they were listening. I think the most they could wander off was that we did encourage various FM transmitters. I remember Mike Calvo, so we're, we're digging up all sorts of names from the past, but Mike Calvo, uh, he produced a thing called the Radio Webcaster, and it had a little remote control, but fundamentally it was an FM transmitter that you could plug into the 3.5 jack of your sound card, and then you could adjust the frequency and listen on FM to whatever was coming through your computer. So a lot of real diehard ACB radio listeners would use these FM transmitters so they could hear it on their regular radio because, you know, we we didn't even have Wi-Fi then. Um, I remember getting up at the ACB convention in 2000, I've got the speech somewhere, and saying there will come a time when bandwidth and technology will be such that you'll be able to wander around with your cell phone in your pocket and listen to ACB radio. And people kind of said, well, it's highly unlikely. And now, of course, it's what we do. In terms of numbers, I remember 
uh, when I did my final show on ACB Radio Interactive, which was the Exploding Goodbye show in July of 2003, we maxed out the servers that day. I think there was about a 200 listener capacity and we had to, uh, Matt had to do some magic to get some more people, uh, uh, more capacity on board. So numbers could be quite good, but normally they would average out, you know, about sort of 50 or 60. But yes, there was less fragmentation just because there was a lot less choice then. When Jonathan and I continue our conversation, we'll talk about Mushroom FM, some of his best and worst interviewing experiences, and his move to work for the first time in the assistive technology industry. Those things and more on Episode 7 of In the Arena, the Jonathan Mosen Story. I'm Glenn Gordon. Thanks for listening.